This is Carte Blanche, the podcast. One story every day that matters. Delve into the issues that impact you. Whether you're in need of a better understanding of the world around you or simply seeking inspiration or unique perspectives, you'll find it all here. Having recently walked the streets of Hillbrow at night, Masake Gana chats to Carte Blanche producer Sasha Schwendenwein about meeting so-called Nyaupe boys, the efforts from local residents to turn the area around, and what her expectations were before visiting this infamous neighborhood. Welcome, Masake Kana. Thank you, Sasha. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Should I let our... Our trusted audience know what I usually call your surname. <laughs> sure. Sasha Wine. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm good on a Friday night. <laughs> so we are here to talk about Hillbrow. That's a place yes. that people don't go very often these days. That is very true. Um, lots of people don't go. And if you can avoid it, people avoid it. But the reason that we spent a night in Hillbrow, one of the many reasons is precisely that. And I must say, since the story has aired, people have come to me to say, you know, thanks for going to Hillbrow for me, because I've been wondering what it's like today in November 2022, because it's been crime ridden and densely populated for a very long time already. It's been a place for a while that's been deteriorating and decaying and just gone into this dark section of our city. So we wanted to go there for people who are curious, but don't necessarily want to go there themselves. Right. And and that's exactly what we did. So it was for that person, but it was also and very importantly about the life for people who have no choice but have to live in Hillbrow. The residents of Hillbrow who complain year in and year out about the crime, who complain about the population that's just springing out of control and it not being controlled. So it was about the residents, but it was also to take our viewers on a little night ride in Hillbrow. Yeah, so I guess it was as much for our viewers as as much for you. You know, what was your initial reaction uh, when you were told you're going to be spending the night in Hillbrow? I was like, why me? <laughs> <laughs> but it's not that way anymore, I'm sure. I was like, me? Why do you want, why are you assigning me to Hillbrow? That was my initial reaction. Um, but, you know, also the curiosity overwhelmed that initial apprehension as well. And of course, the journalistic call. But uh, personally, I mean, I even said it in the piece, had we not had Hendrik de Klerk and the security company with us, I wouldn't have just ventured out into the streets of Hillbrow on a random Friday night at the end of the month when people are more volatile. No, I, if you can, like I say, avoid it, then yeah, you do. What was it that made you nervous about hitting the streets of Hillbrow? You know, what are some of the stories uh, that you'd heard before going there? So I I had gone, um, I usually go when it's like an election year, to be honest, because that's when politicians take Hillbrow seriously, whether it's local government or it is national government. When there's an election, they will be in Hillbrow. So it's a place that I have ventured into particularly for my career um 
But this was my first time going in for something where we are creating and generating the story. We are not waiting for the end of the year when um, the police and there's a joint force and task team to descend on Hillbrow and suddenly there's so much care about Hillbrow. We wanted to be there for like the ordinary person, the ordinary citizen. But for the actual part of being there and physically having to be there at night, that was my first experience. And fun fact, I went to nursery school in Hillbrow. I went to a German nursery school called Hansel and Gretel. Um, and that was probably the last time I was in Hillbrow for personal reasons. And other than that, I go for work. So going at night was a very different experience for me, I must say. My fear was crime right? Not just for myself, but the entire crew. We're traveling with, you know, a cameraman, a second cameraman, a producer, and there's a lot of gear. And we know that gear has also become a target for criminals. So that's the concern that we sticking out, you know, like sore thumbs, we are obviously out of place. And then we've got this attractive, shiny equipment. So my biggest concern, honestly, was crime and that was probably my only concern because I know that the residents and people who live in Hillbrow are majority really good people and what we saw were people who are just as concerned about it as we are and just as concerned about you would be about your own local neighborhood so the fear was that it's nighttime we're sticking out like sore thumbs and I don't know if the police will come out you know, in time. Yeah. You know, I've been to Hillbrow quite a lot as a journalist as well. And um, we've definitely had camera equipment stolen uh, from yeah. us. I mean, we had somebody at gunpoint take our camera stuff. Um, oh, you my know, but it, it is one of those things where it's actually quite an adventure in Hillbrow. I've seen, mm. you know, chicken oh my gosh! So you guys, you guys had a, a, an actual, what I was fearing when you were filming there. As in well. the middle of the day. In the middle oh. of the day. Yeah. We were uh, doing a story on illegal chicken abattoirs and then they took one of the cameraman's iPhones and ran off. You know, we were lucky. We were really lucky. But uh, I've been in Hillbrow a lot. I've been in Hillbrow a lot with the police as well. Um, And it's something Mm -hmm. that even they roll their windows up for. I've been there on New Year's Eve when they throw washing machines and refrigerators out of the windows. (laughs) We've seen those visuals, yeah. (laughs) But what's it like when you are reporting from there when it is that much action going on? Because, I mean, for this particular piece of, I mean, at night in Hellbrow, there'll always be action, but then there's obviously degrees to it, right? Um, And this one was a relatively uh, slower night compared to what it could be. As crazy as it was, that is, in Hellbrow standards, relatively calm. So what you're describing, you know, uh, like what we've seen before, the washing machines being thrown out, the fridges and the appliances, I mean, what's that like when you're on the ground and that's happening? Are you ducking? Are you trying to get that shot? And, you know, what's going on? You know, I must say that, yes, you're trying to get the shots. And a lot of people are laughing on the ground. There's a lot of uh, people who've been drinking and they're having a good time. People think it's funny. I was quite surprised. Uh, I didn't expect that. I didn't know about the sort of rule that happens on New Year's there. Um, mm, and yeah. I watched them do that. And, you know, I was standing there with the police and we were all watching them do it. Nobody was. But that's not just Hillbrow, you know. I think there's a lot of places that are like Hillbrow, right? But Hillbrow in mm-hmm. our minds kind of has this image, you know, from 
what you see on screen to what you experience. So tell me what you what you expected and what you then experienced. Um, were those the oh, same or, or was it different? Oh, I must, like, off the top of my head, definitely, like, to answer that question, it was the Nyaobe guys who surprised me out of everyone, right? Um, the Nyaobe guys, as well as the destitute guys who were, you know, um, occupying an abandoned, decayed old house, for instance. Now, my perception, which was completely wrong, right, was that probably the Nyaobe boys, and we don't know the Nyaobe guys are part of the problem because we know when you do have a drug addiction, you need to feed that addiction. And if you don't have a yeah. job, you need to find the means to get money to feed that addiction. So that creates a certain perception about what a Nyaobe guy is like and looks like and behaves like. But when I met those guys on the street and they were, they just, they were just so honest and genuine and and concerned about themselves as well. You know, they were concerned about themselves. They were concerned about their addiction. They were concerned about Hillbrow and just the greater community. And they were one of the groups of people who our um, chaperone for the evening, Hendrik de Klerk, was saying, helps him tremendously in his crime-fighting efforts in Hillbrow. He says, these Nyaope guys, yes, they're doing something illegal. Yes, they are doing drugs. It's awful and they're addicted. But these are some of the guys that give him tips to say, hey, you know, there's a house over there and they're harboring like illegal guns or whatever mm. so they they are actually part and I'm not saying all of them holistically I'm just saying that perception that I had that all of them are just these bad guys who are just trying to feed this habit was totally flipped around and I was pleasantly surprised and what they were saying about they don't encourage other people so if you've never tried this drug and you're one of the homeless people around there they will never let you try it around them this group of people in particular and I asked them, you know, what's their reason? And they said, because it's ruined their lives and they only do it because they can't survive a cold night in the streets of Hillbrow and everything that comes with that without numbing that pain. And now because they're used to numbing the pain, they're addicted to it and they can't stop. And they just said to me, if only I could. Now, ordinarily, with the right resources, that person who has that much realization would be able to be booked into a great rehabilitation facility and probably given another chance at life. But it gave me an opportunity to see them as my fellow South Africans, to see them as my fellow human beings, never mind their nationality, but just as it could be anyone, it could be my cousin. Life happens to people. Yeah. And yeah, that was one of my biggest take-homes. I, I watched them. I mean, one of the guys, he was doing a demonstration while he was getting his hit. So he was he had this needle in his neck, Sasha, and I just was cringing inside for him, you know, because, I mean, needles just make me squirmish already. And then here you have it in your neck and you're putting this drug in you. And then he's taking it out to see that they're the particles that are in the blood, then takes it back in and still saying, I wish I didn't have to do this. And looking at this guy in the eye and I can see there is a soul back there somewhere that just needs a chance at life. And Hillbrow, unfortunately, has turned into a place that doesn't give you an opportunity for a fair chance at life 
The other thing that shocked me more, I mean, we all know about the uh, abandoned buildings, but I mean, the state of Hillbrow, there's parts of it that, I mean, and efforts are being made, don't get me wrong, you know, um, there were taverns where the owners were very strict about checking every person that, that goes into the establishment to make sure that they no, have no weapons, they have a very no-nonsense approach to fighting and violence. Efforts are being made. There's extra lighting outside the entrances. They discourage drinking in public near their facilities. Look, drinking in public is the order of the day there, but there's certain spots where they've tried to keep it alcohol-free because you're not supposed to drink in public. It isn't, it isn't legal. But the state of the buildings is rapidly deteriorating. Those that buildings that are well taken care of are taken care of. But too many buildings I saw that had no windows, no walls, no windowsills. I mean, all that is left is a is not even a roof, right? All that is left is a hollow structure, a hollow structure. And when you think of the housing problem we have in this country and how much potential Hillbrow has and that it's also close to CBD, it is the CBD. It's close to the economic hub. It's conveniently located. We are sitting on ourselves. We're sitting on gold with Hillbrow. Hillbrow could be could be sorting out so many problems as well. But it's far from the, I mean, like you're saying, if officers themselves are rolling up windows when they're there, it is concerning. And my fear was that should anything happen to us tonight, I don't think the officers are going to come in time and I don't think it'll be resolved. No, I agree with you. I think um, from my experience, you know, the buildings are just shelves um, and mm. you'll just have, like I said, 15, 16 people in a room sleeping head to foot with a towel to separate rooms. They live in shocking conditions. No running water, you know, trash heaps mm -hmm. everywhere. Um, it's certainly not sustainable for life. And I know that the city have been trying to do something about it, but it is a difficult battle, uh, legally speaking as well. But that's another story. Yeah. So, um, it seems that these Nyape boys were one of the most memorable moments for you. But what about the character Hendrik de Klerk? Uh, you had oh. a final side. <laughs> he seems interesting. Let me tell you what a character, hey? Um, so passionate, so dedicated. You know, he's Hillbrow born and raised and bred, and he lives and breathes Hillbrow. And he's taken it upon himself to do what most of us are not willing to do. And he's rolled up his sleeves. And he just gets on with it. When he drives around Hillbrow, just picture Beyonce at a high school. Not even a high school. Beyonce just walking somewhere in South Africa and the reaction she'd get. You know, people just fawning over her and fanning over her and being, you know, excited to see her. That's almost a similar reaction that people give to Hendrik de Klerk when he's walking around there because they know his efforts. The residents there... You know, they love him. They, they they appreciate him. He knows everyone. He knows the farm, the local pharmacist and how long they've been there. And he remembers going there when he was a little boy. And he knows the local guy that, you know, fixes the tailor, that fixes shoes or suits. And he knows the mama that makes the best fed cakes. And he really will make you see Hillbrow. You can be in Hillbrow and not really see it because it gets clouded by the darkness of the space, the energy being dark. But he he brings such a light to Hillbrow. He brings uh, hope as well. And of course, he brought safety for us, you know. Um, 
which we appreciate it because, you know, you almost become untouchable, you know, driving around with that guy in Hellbrow. It's just, he commands so much respect and he's done so much for the community. And I feel like he gave me a bit of hope because sometimes you feel like this place is never going to get better. It's been getting worse. And what makes me think it's going to get better? And to answer you, uh, what we were talking about earlier with the washing machines and appliances that were uh, typically thrown out in New Year's and that was like the tradition in Hillbrow. I asked him about that and he said, you know, it's calmed down drastically since COVID. Less and less people are are doing that now. Um, and even now post-lockdown regulations, it's like, you know, he doesn't expect that to be the case this year, for instance. So there's a certain shift in behavior around Hillbrow that he made me realize. He, you know, pointed out that the, the buildings that they take care of, you know, they've become safe zones for children. So because children can't play freely in the streets, they are playing on the rooftops and standing on that rooftop overlooking Hillbrow and seeing the potential and the beauty that it is and could be. It was, it, he he really was a light and shining that and, and showing us that side of Hillbrow that is worth fighting for to get it to a decent place. You know, it seems that not everybody in Hillbrow, and I think it's a big misconception, is a criminal. Families yeah. live there. You know, a lot of people who call Hillbrow home still today. Did you speak to any of those locals? And sort of what did they tell you about living in Hillbrow? That's exactly it. I mean, mo- a lot of the people living there are ordinary citizens, just trying to, ordinary people just trying to get by you know, just trying to raise children. And the people we spoke to, ordinary citizens that I did get a chance to talk to, you know, find out what's life like from across genders, you know, men and women, old and young, everyone was like, we're scared. It's 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 not a nice place to live. You li- We live here because we have nowhere else to go. It wasn't their first preference, you know, that, okay, where am I going to live? I guess I'll look around Hillbrow. It's an only choice for those residents and they needed to be safe. So they complained about the crime. They complained about, you know, politicians and their big talk coming in when it's time for them, when it suits them. They also raised concerns about, besides the crime as well, but how dark Hillbrow can be. I mean, that's like across the board for South Africa, especially considering load shedding, but they're just really dark spaces that have no lighting whatsoever, whether there's load shedding or not. And that creates problems. You know, people are fearful of walking around. People are fearful of what may happen to them. Even, you know, the community watch groups now, they're growing. So there is some positivity coming out of it. More and more of these residents are joining the network of people who are trying to protect Hillbrow in collaboration with Hendrik and his team. So. They have valid concerns. They have the concerns that we would expect them to have. And there's just a level of this theme of sheer fear. Can I just, like, people walk fast in Hillbrow as well, hey? Like, I notice it's not a leisurely thing, especially, you know, where you can see this as a mama or a dad coming from work and you just, you just want to make it into your house. Everyone's on a very fast, quick mission and nobody walks slowly. It's just, everybody's quick. And I think it's just, I quickly want to get indoors and make sure I'm safe. 
You know, uh, you're talking about some of the safety measures that have been put into place. I believe that Hendrik de Klerk had put in, you know, and his team have put in uh, security checkpoints at several venues. Mm. Has that had an impact on the area? And what other measures have they put in place to improve the situation there? So they've put in CCTV cameras and they've positioned, they are all over. And a lot of them are quite well hidden. They've positioned and they have a team of people constantly watching these cameras. And what they're looking out for is not just somebody, you know, pickpocketing or smashing and grabbing. They are looking for behavior. So when they see, you know, a group coming out of a you know, local pub and there seems to be a scuffle that's already brewing, they're already on it. You know, the the CCTV footage uh, cameras really work well. They've also established a whole network of undercover agents. Now, I don't want to blow their cover, but like it is the most unsuspecting people that you would think, you know, just a random person who's walking around it. Like that's also part of it. That guy's also part of the network. Somebody sitting under a tree in the park. So they have established a very solid network of citizens who are just agents you know, residents of Hillbrow who are working to be a part of the solution. Who's paying for that? So for instance, with the buildings that they take care of, it would be the building owner who then contracts Bad Boys Security Company, you know, as the security company for that building. But the over and above stuff that they're doing, that's, I mean, that's on them. That's them wanting Hillbrow to be a better place, using the profits that they do make from from their private business to go and buy these, um, this equipment that is going to help Hillbrow at the end of the day. So I also got a sense, and you know, people who give a lot don't like saying, oh, I t- took it out of my own pockets, you know, and Hendrik is not that guy. But th- that's also the sense I got that a lot of it is also coming out of his own pockets. A lot of it is coming out of the business, you know, it, and it's their way of giving back and ensuring that this place that they called home and still believe is home um, is protected and has security. And he said, I asked him, like, you know, why are you investing so much? And he said, if I don't do it, like, I don't, I don't see anyone, you know, else. And until then, somebody has to do it. He seems very optimistic. He's very optimistic. He's very optimistic about turning things around. Do you think that that is possible? Do you think it's possible to make Hillbrow safe again, uh, to make it apparently what it once was? Um, I really hate to be the spokesperson of doom and gloom um but to be quite frankly honest i appreciate hendrick's optimism i think it's necessary and i would like to take some of it and i've taken some of it but without the political will across the board hillbrow will never be properly fixed we'll just constantly be putting a band-aid over a gushing wound you know we need all departments involved to come to the party to get Hillbrow to what it used to be and what it can potentially still be. It's not going to just take its residents and, you know, one or two private security companies risking it all. It needs much more than that. And until we have the SAPs and we have um, the Department of Human Settlements involved and every other stakeholder that is necessary for the kinds of problems that we're seeing in Hillbrow, I don't foresee it changing anytime soon for the better. Ah, well, you know, you have to be realistic when you go into these stories. 
I think if one thing carte blanche will bring you the truth of the situation, we're not going to yeah. sugarcoat anything. Yeah. And, and that's exactly it. You know, um, that's the sense that I got. And I, you know, I, it would be a miss of me to say to people listening to this that, oh no, you know, we went and spent the night and it's getting better. Just hop in in your car and head out there. No, that's not necessary. There's still a lot that needs to be done to fix Hillbrow. Efforts are being made, but efforts do not necessarily translate to a safe environment right now. You're not safe anyway in South Africa. That's true. But it's just worse in certain parts. Well, thank you very much for that insightful, truthful and sobering conversation. Thank you very much, Sasha. I appreciated that. Thanks for your insights too. It also validated my thoughts of the gear, the gear. So, I mean, it already happened to you and the crew, which is so unfortunate because all we're trying to do is tell these stories. Whether you're stuck in traffic, preparing dinner, or simply chilling on the couch, we'd love to keep you company with Carte Blanche, the podcast. You can find all the latest episodes weekdays on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you access your favorite shows. Join us for some unique stories as we make sense of the headlines.